This is Show Me Today, the voice of Missouri. I'm Bill Pollack. We'll get an update from Misha. They just wrapped up their winter championships, and now they turn their attention to spring activities. Uh, big money maker, basketball and wrestling for communities uh, like Columbia and Springfield. We'll talk about that. AAA Missouri awarded six high schools $15,000 as their students take a pledge to not text and drive. State Representative Michael O'Donnell is a lieutenant commander in the U.S. Navy serving as an intelligence officer. He talks to Elisa Nelson about 9-11 inspiring him to join in one of his most memorable military stories. So how long have you been in the Navy? Uh, it'll be 18 years this month. So uh, March yeah, March 30th is my, my anniversary. Well, happy anniversary. 18 years. <laughs> so what inspired you to join the Navy? Um, so my, my normal uh, career is I'm a, I'm a bond trader for an investment firm. And in 2001, I was in New York for that, that company uh, visiting some of our branches. And uh, my plans for the week of September 11, that Tuesday, uh, I was planning on visiting one of our branches out on Long Island and then uh, going into the Trade Center to meet with a guy I had traded bonds with for about eight years. Uh, his name was Carl Smith, and he worked at a firm called Cantor Fitzgerald, which was on the 104th floor of Tower One. And uh, Carl didn't make it home that day, and I came home from that experience feeling like I should be doing something, but it didn't make a lot of sense, a guy in his 30s joining the military. Um, and I just kind of thought it would go away. Um, but it, it didn't. And so I started looking into some of the, the military uh, options for someone in their 30s and stumbled across some programs in the Navy and had always had kind of an interest in the Navy, but um, never never ended up uh, serving in any capacity in the military. And so uh, you know, continued to watch the country in the middle of two wars and uh, the feeling just that feeling just kept getting stronger and stronger. And so ultimately in 2005, I ended up enlisting through an advanced pay grade program uh, to do uh, to do intelligence. Um, and so yeah, in 2000, March of 2005, I enlisted. So where did that take you? So um, initially, I went through uh, went through this advanced pay grade program. So I started off as an E-4 in the Navy, we call that a petty officer third class, and went through several levels of, of training and um, really wanted to uh, focus my, you know, you could pick different career paths within intelligence, but I really wanted to do ground intelligence. So it seems kind of strange that a Navy guy would be focusing on intelligence for folks on the ground, but um, the, the Navy supports a lot of different ground forces, everything from CBs who do construction to rivering guys, which uh, tend to, to be on like the river and waterways, the inland waterways, uh, Navy SEALs, any of the expeditionary forces, maritime civil affairs. And that's really where I wanted to go. Um, but the problem for me was I was in the reserves, and in order to get that school, you had to be actually assigned to one of those units. And so once I kind of got the disappointing news from my boss that, that I wasn't going to be able to go to that school, I started looking at other options. And then out of nowhere, my commanding officer called and said, hey, do you still want to, do you still want to go to that school? And I was like, yes, sir, I do. He said, well, we've got this deployment 
that would allow you to go to that school before uh, you would you would end up ultimately going to Iraq. And I said, sir, hang up the phone and tell them you've got to volunteer. I don't want to miss this opportunity. And so that was kind of the beginning of, of me getting to do what I wanted to do, uh, work with ground forces in an intelligence capacity, and then ultimately going downrange um, to where I ended up in western Iraq uh, in 2008 in the Anbar province. And that was right right around the time of the surge in 2008 when, when President Bush uh, pushed a lot of folks downrange to try to uh, regain control in, in Iraq. And a big part of that was in the western part of the country was what we call the Anbar Awakening. And, and Al-Qaeda had really started to do some nasty things to the folks in, um, in the western part of the, the country. And there was, they were really, it was a Sunni stronghold, but the, the folks there didn't really like what was going on. And so they kind of teamed up with U.S. forces to push, push those folks out. And that's, that's what we called the, the Anbar Awakening when the, the, the locals, you know, came around to realizing, hey, these these folks that are here are not good for us. We need to get them out. And so there was a, a big push to to do that. Uh, that ultimately, and then after that, uh, that stint, I ended up in uh, Afghanistan, in Kandahar, Afghanistan, where I got to do counter-narcotics uh, intelligence with the British. And I was in a in an environment that was British, Australian, Canadian, U.S., and Dutch. And a really great environment just to work with folks from, from different countries. Um, you know, we always hear folks refer to, you know, our military as the best of the best. And, you know, that's not, that's not something unique to the U.S. The, those other countries are really sending some really sharp people, uh, in, in their military downrange as well. And it was really a, a really great experience for me. State Representative Michael O'Donnell of St. Louis County. It joins Show Me Today. He's a lieutenant commander in the U.S. Navy Reserve, uh, serving as an intelligence officer. I'm Elisa Nelson. Now, initially, just talking about what inspired you to get involved. Um, did you work alongside many other soldiers who joined as a result of what happened on 9-11? No, not, not really. And I... I know when I went to boot camp, I, there was one other guy, and we still we still stay in touch. Um, that we were about the same age. I think he's like a month older than me. Um, but you know, a lot of I would run into some folks like that 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 were inspired. But you also see stories of um, of folks that that responded that way. I remember the story of a Marine who 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 enlisted right after 9/11. Um, you know, same kind of situation. Where he had a, a good job, had, really had no need to, to join the military other than just, you know, felt that calling. Um, and the, unfortunately, the reason he got a lot of attention was because he was he was killed and killed in action. Um, but you would see stories like that, and, and you know, for some folks, uh, people like me found that very inspiring. That that you know somebody else was kind of feeling the same thing, and. Took action, and that's a lot of why I, you know, I saw those examples and thinking, well, maybe I'm not as crazy as, as I'm, I'm thinking maybe I am. So, um, you know, some of those stories are, are inspiring and, and definitely did help, kind of push me over the top to, to do and to go ultimately where I decided to go. Now, being in your 30s, uh, what did your family think of you having this, uh, this? 
feeling this calling in your 30s? Um, I, it was it was definitely difficult for my wife. Um, you know, two, we had two kids. Uh, that was difficult. You know, the the prospect of of losing you know the the you know, the husband in the household was not all that exciting to her. Um, and you know, I think that was a big part of of the delay for me was it just didn't seem it wasn't rational. It wasn't something that that people were doing it it just didn't make sense and you know i don't i i can't really tell you what people were thinking i i kind of have in my head what i think they were thinking and i really think people thought i was crazy and it's it's just not you know it's just not something that, that people do um ultimately my wife relented she you know she said i understand why you want to do this um i don't like it but i i understand why you feel this way and I understand that the, the feeling hasn't gone away and that you just feel like you have to do something. Um, I don't like it, but I, I understand. Show me the day. The United States Deputy Sheriff's Association is a national nonprofit and the largest non-governmental provider of services to law enforcement. The USDSA assists city, county, state, and federal agencies with free safety equipment donations and officer survival training along with cash donations to families of law enforcement officers who perish in the line of duty, college scholarships for the children of law enforcement, a citizen awareness program, and more. For more information on the USDSA and how you can help, visit usdeputy.org. Hi, it's Tori DeVito. In every family, small conversations can make a big impact. Like when my dad shared his experiences as an alcoholic. Your honesty about that part of your life gave me a sense of integrity that I wanted to uphold in my own life. I wanted you to know from someone who's been in recovery more than 30 years now that hard work is what creates success, not alcohol or other drugs. I said it a lot, and I'm glad you took it to heart. Talk. They hear you. For more information, visit underagedrinking.samsa.gov. Matthew. Huh? Oh, sorry. It's okay. I just need you to listen to me. I know that a lot of times, Mom, it might not seem like I'm listening to you, but I am. I hear you. And what you say really does matter to me. I mean, let's be honest. No kid likes rules, but I get why we have them. I hear you, and I know it's because you care. For more information about talking with your kids about underage use of alcohol and other drugs, visit underagedrinking.samsa.gov. All the talks we've had over the years, including what you've told me about not using alcohol and other drugs, they stick with me. And believe it or not, they really do make a difference, especially at times that matter most. Hey, want a drink? No thanks, I'm good. So thank you, Dad, for talking and preparing me for what's ahead. Thank you for talking. For more information about talking with your kids about underage use of alcohol and other drugs, visit underagedrinking.samsa.gov. Do you worry about how much someone drinks? Do you feel angry or depressed most of the time? Do you feel neglected or unloved? Do you feel that if the drinker loved you, she or he would stop drinking? If you answered yes to any of these questions, you are not alone. Not everyone trapped by alcohol is an alcoholic. Families and friends are suffering too. Al-Anon and Alateen can help. Call 1-866-200-0223 or visit alanon.org slash help. 
The United States Deputy Sheriff's Association is a national nonprofit and the largest non-governmental provider of services to law enforcement. The USDSA assists city, county, state, and federal agencies with free safety equipment donations and officer survival training along with cash donations to families of law enforcement officers who perish in the line of duty, college scholarships for the children of law enforcement, a citizen awareness program, and more. For more information on the USDSA and how you can help, visit usdeputy.org. Show me today. State Representative Michael O'Donnell of St. Louis County it joins Show Me Today. He's a lieutenant commander in the U.S. Navy Reserve, uh, serving as an intelligence officer. I'm Elisa Nelson. Um, so what's your memorable or one of your most memorable military stories? Um, I, I would probably say one of the missions we had when we were in Iraq I was deployed with with CBs, um, and they're they're typically builders, and and they they you know were were building uh, building out bases in in Iraq and, and doing things like um, drilling wells and, and things like that for the locals as kind of a hearts and mind campaign. But one of the missions we got tasked to participate in was an operation to return the or an effort to return the only. Uh, person who was MIA from the first Gulf War, there was a uh, Navy aviator, uh, and his, uh, Captain Spiker, who was captain at, at the time, he was a lieutenant when he was shot down, um, but he was he was declared missing on the first night of operations, the air operations, uh, over Iraq during the first Gulf War, and um, crazy small world moment that the group of us that were preparing to go to the the school I mentioned earlier, we were in. We were out to out to dinner um, after having completed all of our uh, basically our admin stuff uh, for pre-deployment, and we were getting ready to head to that school. And we went out to dinner to celebrate uh, one of the other guys in our units. We had myself, and he had the same birthday. The only thing is, I was turning 40, and he was turning 20. And at the dinner. The, um, the 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 guy who was turning 20 looked at our boss and said, "Hey, sir, who's who's that on your bracelet?" And he had a a, a MIA bracelet, and um, and he said, "Oh, you probably wouldn't recognize him. Uh, it's Lieutenant Spiker. He was shot down on the first night of the Gulf War, and uh, you know we're still looking for him." And <laughs> like shocking response from the 20 year old was. I know exactly who he is. That's my uncle. That's my mom's brother. And that was kind of this, this moment that we're like, whoa, that's a crazy coincidence. And then later on when we were downrange, my boss said to me, hey, I need you to look at this operation we're going to be part of. You can't discuss it with anybody. It's classified, but you specifically can't discuss it with the, the 20-year-old. And that's when I learned that we were going to have a piece in this mission that was hopefully going to bring him home. Because, and, and the reason the lieutenant told me that was because uh, he wanted to, to discuss it with the the 20-year-old um, himself so that it wasn't just something that he stumbled across. And so we, we got to be part of this mission, and um, you know we we did the, our we took our role in the in this mission, and the, the mission was was done, and then we were just kind of waiting for the results. And through that time, we finished our deployment. We we rolled out. Uh, we were back home. In fact, I was headed out west with my family for vacation, 
And uh, my wife was in the shower in the hotel room, and I was just sitting on the edge of the bed watching the news. And the news report came across that, that they had located Spiker's remains and um, that he was essentially going home for, for a burial. And I immediately jumped on the phone and, and called uh, the guy who was my boss and said, we got him, sir. We got him. We found Spiker. And, um, you know, just just that whole the whole craziness of the connectivity of that, the fact that his, his nephew was, was deploying with us, his nephew was on the mission. Um, he actually got to go out to the site that they were uh, near the crash site where, where some of the work was, was taking place. Um, just the whole crazy coincidence of all of that just brings back some, some really great memories. That's, uh, like you said, very special. I want to go back to... Um... And nine eleven, were you so were you at Ground Zero then? I was not. So I was about I was about thirty minutes away. Uh, my I wasn't planning to be there until later in the day. I was my plan was to uh, meet Carl and and actually go up in the the trade center and uh, just kind of hang out on their their trading desk on the one hundred fourth floor, and then he and I were going to go out to dinner and have some laughs. Carl was a was a really fun guy to to hang out with. He was. I, I trusted him as far as trading trading went. Um, really thought highly of him. I respected him. But uh, he and I just we got to be friends, and, and you know, you spend every day talking to to the folks on the telephone uh, like we do in, in the bond business. They develop friendships. He and I would would talk about our kids. Uh, his kids were a little older than mine. He had two boys, uh, and they were in scouting and and. At some point, Carl and I struck up a conversation, and I told him how involved I was as a scouting volunteer. And so, you know, we really hit it off from that standpoint of just hearing what his kids were doing. <laughs> well, you know, you hear stories, at least I've heard stories about some people who were supposed to be in the Twin Towers on September 11th, and something happened and they weren't there. I'd like to know, like, what you were thinking, knowing that you were so close to going to the Twin you know, Towers that day. Yeah, I think I think for me, my my focus on that day was first. I've told this to people many a time. I've never said the expression "thank God" more than I said on that day. And you, you would think, what? What are you talking about? That was a terrible, terrible day. But as as the things were unfolding, you saw that first plane hit. My first reaction was to call Carl and say, hey, if they evacuate your building, because from what we were seeing on the news, it looked like there was a, a fire. They probably evacuated the building. And I just called to say, hey, if they evacuate your building, don't wait around for me. We'll, we'll catch up you know, later in the week or something like that. Just go home and, and we'll, we'll figure out when we can connect. Well, I got a strange busy signal and never, never got to talk to Carl. But as each incident happened, I was kind of doing an accounting of my friends and where they were. And so, you know, the, the second plane hits the second tower and, you know, I had friends that, that worked at a firm there and I started doing an accounting of, oh my gosh, you know, I've got Jimmy there and I've got Jeff there, you know, you know, what, what's happening with them. And I've got, you know, this friend that's, that's right across the street. There's, there's gotta be concerns, you know, happening there. And then a building collapses and you think, oh my gosh, you know, did I lose that friend as well? And so as the day went on, you continue to hear, you know, oh, I, I ran into to Jeff at, at Penn Station. 
he he was evacuated early, but Jimmy stayed behind as part of a skeleton crew. And you'll learn later that Jimmy was actually on the phone with a guy on, on my trading desk in St. Louis. And, you know, he said to him, hey, I'm going to, I'm probably going to head out. We, they had evacuated Tower 2. And um, he said, I'm going to, I'm going to head out. Just nothing's going to happen. And people weren't trading. They were just watching what was going on on TV and just in shock. And the, the story goes, he went to the window to look at Tower 1 to, to take one last look at it burning and the second plane hit his building and and his comment was i thought the building was going to go over it it hit the building so hard and slammed into it that he thought it was going to tip the whole thing over he got he evacuated went, went down the stairs in 30 minutes and was 15 minutes away when his building collapsed and so you know those of us that didn't know where he was at that point thought for sure that he he perished at that point but ultimately you know, again, somebody said, oh, I saw Jimmy at this restaurant outside of Penn Station, and, and he's he's okay. It's like, oh, thank God. That's Those are really good points. And I want to thank you for your service and your sacrifice. Um, I can imagine that you sacrificed a lot, whether that be a comfy bed, uh, holidays with your family, carpet. <laughs> I, I say carpet because that that's one of my that's one of my husband's things. <laughs> he was so he was he was deployed last year and he missed carpet and couldn't wait yeah. to sleep on carpet. And I think yeah. um I think the life, the military life, um really makes you think about okay, is this is kind of a first world problem. This is not a third world problem. You know what I mean? I think it puts yep. those kinds of things in perspective when um, folks like you really give up a lot and you do it so selflessly. So thank you very much. My pleasure. Yeah, my, my story in common is I missed my dog more than I missed anyone because I, I got to talk oh. to my wife. I got to see my kids on video. But the dog I didn't get to interact with. And so when I came home and she ran around the house like crazy, I was oh. just really happy to see her. That oh. was, that was that my carpet-related carpet story. <laughs> Everybody needs a carpet-related story. That's State Representative Michael O'Donnell. This is Show Me Today, the voice of Missouri. Meet Ed, movie buff, animal lover, safe driver. Five years of driving an ambulance teaches you a thing or two. If people knew what I know, lives could be saved. When I see a car trying to rush past the turning bus, I get concerned. You see, when big vehicles turn right, they have to swing wide to make the turn. And that's a lesson you don't want to learn the hard way. When trucks and buses turn, let's you and I wait. It's, it's our roads. It's, it's our safety. Visit www.sharetheroadsafely.gov. If you're talking, they will hear you. Why are we getting killed like this? Kyle's not here. Got caught drinking during the park a couple of nights ago. Really? Yeah. Zero tolerance. He's out for the season. Harsh. Hey, he knew not to drink. We've made that clear to all of our kids, right? Uh, no, not really. Bill, if we don't tell them what we expect and why they shouldn't drink, how are they going to know? Talk. They hear you. For more information, visit underagedrinking.samsa.gov. You try all the talks we've had over the years, including what you've told me about not using alcohol and other drugs, they stick with me. And believe it or not, they really do make a difference, especially at times that matter most. Hey, want a drink? No thanks, I'm good. So thank you, Dad, for talking and preparing me for what's ahead. Thank you for talking. 
For more information about talking with your kids about underage use of alcohol and other drugs, visit underagedrinking.samhsa.gov. Hi, it's Tori DeVito. In every family, small conversations can make a big impact. Like when my dad shared his experiences as an alcoholic. Your honesty about that part of your life gave me a sense of integrity that I wanted to uphold in my own life. I wanted you to know from someone who's been in recovery more than 30 years now that hard work is what creates success, not alcohol or other drugs. I said it a lot, and I'm glad you took it to heart. Talk. They hear you. For more information, visit underagedrinking.samsa.gov. When it comes to vaping, the truth can get clouded. So let's make it clear. Vaping is not safe for kids, teens, or young adults. It's just not. Because vaping can put microscopic particles into your lungs. And dangerous things like metals and volatile organic compounds into your body. And nicotine, the same highly addictive substance found in regular cigarettes. Nicotine can harm a person's brain development through their mid-20s. Affecting learning, memory, attention, and impulse control. And priming the brain for other addictions. Vaping products also come in kid-friendly flavors that can make them appealing to youth. And many kids also use other drugs, like marijuana, in vaping devices. With appealing flavors, high nicotine levels, and lots of promotion on social media. Many kids think vaping is harmless, but it's not. So talk to your kids about the risks of vaping. Because when you talk, they hear you. For more information, visit underagedrinking.samsa.gov. Email from school about the incident today. Scary. Tell me about it. Did you have any idea that was going on? None. I mean, you saw Derek at the game last night, too. Did you have a clue? No, but you know, teachers like me, parents, we don't always know as much as you guys do. Kids hear first about what's going on with other kids. Half the time, it's rumors. It can be hard to tell sometimes, but if you're ever concerned about a friend who's having trouble with alcohol, prescription drugs, bullying, violence, anything, you need to tell an adult. Mom or me, a teacher, coach, school counselor, someone you know and trust. Dad, no kid is going to adult about that kind of stuff. I get it, but if we don't know, we can't help. Speaking up about a problem, that's what helping a friend is all about. For more information, visit underagedrinking.samsa.gov. We're back on Show Me Today, the voice of Missouri. I'm Bill Pollack, and joining me is Misha's Executive Director, Dr. Jennifer Ruckstad, uh, wrapping up a busy winter championship uh, go-around here, Jen. A lot of things happening here the last couple weeks. Yeah, we uh, we just finished uh, state basketball championships, which is two weekends in Springfield. But before that, we had uh, wrestling, and before that, we had uh, girls swimming and diving. So, um yeah, we were busy for a while, uh, but it's a good busy, and uh, we are we, we have a few weeks off now uh, between uh, winter and spring, and we start the spring uh, with our activities. So uh, we'll have our three activity uh, championship events, and then we'll hit the ground. We'll we'll hit it hard for, for spring sports uh, there for a short period of time. Yeah, and with those spring activities, I mean, you have a lot of participants in in those. Those we are do. big events. Uh, we do. Our uh, our activities, um, we will start out with speech, debate, and theater uh, in Springfield uh, the third weekend in April. Uh, and that's a that's a large event, uh, and it's, it's over several different venues. It's going to be all over the city and really greater Springfield area. 
Um, then our music our music festival, our state music festival here at the University of Missouri, um, is really our largest uh, our largest event, our largest championship style event. We don't call it a championship; it's a festival. Um, but we will have three days, and we'll have um, we could have ten thousand kids uh, through Columbia in those three days, uh, and then. <laughs> Scholar Bowl is quite a bit smaller, also at the University of Missouri. Uh, but yeah, we 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 bring a lot of kids through those uh, spring activity championships. Yeah, um, going back to the winter championships, uh, wrestling got boys and girls. Uh, I know girls; the sport continues to grow. How were the attendance figures for uh, the wrestling championships? Well, as far as uh, participants, we brought in. Um, you know, our our format is we. We qualify 16 wrestlers per weight class, per class, per gender. So we had um, we had six classes over the course of our four days, um, and it, two classes of girls, four classes of boys. So um, in in the end, for our participants, we you know we qualified 896 boys and 448 girls for uh, for wrestling championships. As far as attendance numbers. Uh, we had uh, we had probably we had more people uh, over the course of four days than we did over the course of three days in the past uh, to to Missouri Arena to watch those championships. Um, I don't have the actual numbers. You can't you can't count individual people. You can only count tickets sold. Um, but we uh, we we sold more tickets over four days. But the the thing uh, that is true about that is it used to be a three day tournament for. Um, for all classes, all classes were all three days, and now we had two two-day tournaments. So a, a person who was coming to watch their whole, let's say, class two boys tournament in the past would have been there for, for three days. Now it only takes two days to watch that tournament. So in total, um, we we have fewer tickets per person uh, being purchased. So that's that's something we're kind of discussing in the office Um how do we how do we manage that? Because the cost to put on um, our wrestling championships uh, by renting Mizzou Arena for four days and and all of the the additional costs, uh, you know, we we have to continue to think about uh, how do you how do you manage this and what's the value of that um, of that experience for the spectator. Yeah, a logistical nightmare for you guys. You handle it well. Mission Executive Director Dr. Jennifer Ruckstead joining us. Here on Show Me Today, and then the basketball championships down in Springfield. I, I saw maybe you can explain this and kind of clear this up. And um, I, I don't have the tweet anymore. I tried to find it, but um, there was a fan that was upset or misunderstood. Said that uh, some grandparents had had gone to the event and tried to get in, and they didn't have tickets, and they couldn't get in. What what is the ticket policy in terms of buying tickets? Uh, just so that fans have a clear understanding when it comes to st- state championships. We have uh, digital ticketing at all of our uh, final sites, um, and we try to get those that, that all the way back to districts. It's, it's, our host schools have the choice whether they want to do the digital t- ticketing option, even back to the district tournament. But um, we do digital ticketing, uh, which means that your your ticket, if you buy it ahead of time, you could print it out. Uh, it's a QR code that gets scanned at the gate. Uh, but for for most of our patrons, they're going to have that on their phone that gets scanned, um, and there is uh, usually for those who uh, th- who have some issues with that, it's perhaps they don't have a smartphone or are unaware uh, of how to access the digital ticketing. Or we have some folks who are unwilling to access the digital ticketing for for 
various reasons. Um, we uh, we work with everyone, and um, we we have scanner. We have a we have devices at the gate that we can help you buy that ticket your, yourselves. Um, we have people to help. We have support back uh, at the office, um, and we are we were not aware of a person uh, or in this case a couple not being able to access. Uh, the Southern, Great Southern Bank Arena to watch basketball. If if it came to us, uh, we always were able to solve that problem. Uh, and every person that wanted to come in and purchase a ticket and come in got to do that. Uh, so we, I I regret that um, that that there were people who weren't able to access the arena because we we tried we tried very hard to to remove any barriers to make sure that that. Uh, that that patron uh, can get in there. In this case, see their grandchild play basketball. Yeah, and and I bring that up because uh, you know, I'm I'm older. I'm I'm more of the uh, you know I, I like having the paper ticket in hand. But there's events I go to. I mean, you, you do it online and and you get it you know shipped right to your phone. And uh, the, the first couple times I did it, it was like eh, I don't know about this. But yeah, you open your phone, there it is, it scans. And the one time I did have trouble. Not a Misha event. This was just something else. Um, very easy to get in. So it's it's just one of those new tech. I mean, I actually love it. I, I love the, the the paperless route to go now. And, uh, and you know, first couple times I did it, I was a little leery, but uh, it is really easy, and and everybody does help. So I just I wanted to ask that because I saw that and it's like, yeah, we're just we're kind of getting into that uh, that that new technology. And for older people, it might be uh, a little scary or just unsure. You know, you always you know want to have something in hand, but. Um, it's good to see that you guys are, are doing that and um, and certainly there to, to help. So that's good. Dr. Jennifer Ruckstad joining us here on Show Me Today. Um, all right, so you got Misha, but then there's this uh, Missouri Interscholastic Athletic Administrators Association. What is that? <laughs> uh, it is the, the association of our high school athletics and activities directors. Uh, so it's it, MI AAA. It is uh, it's the Missouri version of a national organization, the NI AAA. Um, and so every one of our schools um, has someone uh, tapped to be the point person to deal with activities in athletics. Uh, in most schools, that person carries the title of athletic director, activities director. Um, and just like uh, there are teacher organizations and some teacher organizations are general teacher organizations and some of them are really specific. Well, this is athletic and activity administrators of organizations. So Missouri has um, one of the largest in the country. Uh, and part of that is we partner, uh, the Missouri State High School Activities Association partners with the MIAAA uh, to encourage membership in that organization uh, because it's so valuable. One one is the networking among uh, among the activities directors. When you go to a school, a high school, and uh, you look at all the adults working in that high school, there is only one that whose daily function requires that you talk with other schools, and that's the activities director. Uh, and so, if you want to find the most connected person in a school, your most likely uh, person is to go to the AD. Um, so that that organization brings those people together, uh, strengthens those relationships, but they also have a tremendous uh, professional development component tied to the national organization. Uh, but they have their own certification system. Uh, they have a, a, a robust 
uh, catalog of courses taught by faculty that are trained uh, on how to do that job and how to do that job well. And um, I, I can't say enough about the professionalism of the ADs in Missouri. Uh, and much of that is, is promoted by the MIAAA. They're getting ready to have their spring conference coming up here uh, at the end of March, beginning of April. Uh, and we, we are, uh, the, the MISHA staff attends that conference and, and gives some of the, the uh, workshops. Um, and it's a good opportunity for us to, to strengthen our relationships because we are also, the, if we're looking for a touchstone in a school, it's most often the AD. So uh, those people are very important in making sure um, that, that games and, and concerts and contests, all these things happen. Uh, and they, uh, it requires a lot of, of education to do that. Jen, you talked about uh, basketball being down in Springfield, a couple of weekends of that, uh, big wrestling weekends in Columbia. When you have all of those state athletes coming into a market like that in, in a cup, over a couple of weekends, what's the uh, economic impact on, on towns like Springfield and Columbia? Uh, tremendous. Uh, <laughs> I, uh, I don't have the numbers in front of me, but we're, we're talking into millions of dollars. Uh, when you bring in the, the number of people that we're bringing in, for instance, basketball championships, um, we, we sold uh, about 22,000 tickets uh, over the course of three days in, for weekend one uh, of basketball. Weekend two, we were closer to 13 to five. Uh, when you bring that number of people to a community for multiple days, you're talking about gas uh, and food and hotel at a minimum. Uh, and if they're if they get some free time in there, they're probably uh, spending up more money in your town. Uh, and so that's uh, that's why sports tourism is really important uh, to to these communities. Columbia and Springfield both have. Uh, sports commissions that are the arms of their convention and visitors bureau, uh, and they're always working on bringing sports tourism to their communities because it's a boon for their community. Um, and so we we are MISHA is a nonprofit organization, um, and our task is to you know to is task we we need to to put on these championships. Um, we're we're there to celebrate the participant of the of the student athletes. Um, and, and activities when, you know, for music, when they're bringing in, we're, we're, we're putting on a good experience for these students. There is a cost for that for us. Uh, and our job is to do that. And, uh, and we might make a little money, but we're going to spend that money on another championship that can't make the money. Right. So basketball makes money. Uh, but this year wrestling did not. Uh, so we've got to, we've got to, balance our whole portfolio of sports and activities and make sure that we, you know, we stay afloat because we, you know, the membership is, is counting on the organization to, to, to stay afloat. That's our job is to stay afloat. That's a, yeah. Oh, that's yeah. a good it's chunk a, of change for these communities. Yeah. 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 It's no wonder those RFPs are competitive. Dr. Jennifer Rudstadt, the executive director of MISHA. So great to visit and catch up. Uh, you can kind of ch get a chance to catch your breath before the spring championships, but we'll talk again soon. All right. Thank you. Yeah. This is Show Me Today, the voice of Missouri. Meet Keith, loving dad, board game champ, bus driving pro. I drive 65,000 miles in my bus each year. If people knew what I know, lives could be saved. Like how there are some things I simply can't see. On my route the other day, a car tried to sneak past me and ends up right in my blind spot. I turned slowly, so I accidentally avoided. But no car should be in the blind spot for a 40,000 pound bus. It's, it's our roads. roads. It's, it's our, our safety. safety. 
visit www.sharetheroadsafely.gov. Hi, Grandma. Can Nina come over for dinner? Sure. I've been meaning to ask you, what would happen if someone offered you a drink? Grandma! If anyone ever does, I want you to say, no, I have too much respect for my family and I don't want to get in trouble. I promise, Grandma. They really do hear you. For tips on what to say, visit underagedrinking.samsa.gov. That's underagedrinking.samhsa.gov. This message brought to you by SAMHSA and this station. Meet Ed, movie buff, animal lover, safe driver. Five years of driving an ambulance teaches you a thing or two. If people knew what I know, lives could be saved. When I see a car trying to rush past a turning bus, I get concerned. You see, when big vehicles turn right, they have to swing wide to make the turn. And that's a lesson you don't want to learn the hard way. When trucks and buses turn, let's you and I wait. It's, it's our roads. It's, it's our safety. Visit www.sharetheroadsafely.gov. Women hear a lot about self-care these days. Advice on ways to relax, exercise, eat healthy, and more. Those are all great. But one of the most important self-care steps we can take is making sure we're financially secure later in life. That means saving money for retirement. It's never too late to start. And it's the kind of self-care that brings peace of mind that lasts. For small steps you can take to save for retirement, visit wesaysaveit.org. That's wesaysaveit.org, a message from AARP and the Ad Council. Do you worry about how much someone drinks? Do you feel angry or depressed most of the time? Do you feel neglected or unloved? Do you feel that if the drinker loved you, she or he would stop drinking? If you answered yes to any of these questions, you are not alone. Not everyone trapped by alcohol is an alcoholic. Families and friends are suffering too. Al-Anon and Alateen can help. Call 1-866-200-0223 or visit alanon.org slash help. The United States Deputy Sheriff's Association is a national nonprofit and the largest non-governmental provider of services to law enforcement. The USDSA assists city, county, state, and federal agencies with free safety equipment donations and officer survival training along with cash donations to families of law enforcement officers who perish in the line of duty, college scholarships for the children of law enforcement, a citizen awareness program, and more. For more information on the USDSA and how you can help, visit usdeputy.org. This is Show Me Today, the voice of Missouri. I'm Bill Pollack, AAA Missouri, a big proponents of putting the phone down while you're driving and not texting. And they um, had a high school showdown uh, teaming up with the Missouri Coalition for Roadway Safety and the Casey Feldman Foundation to get high school students to put their phones down. And they were awarding some big cash prizes for their Buckle Up Phone Down High School Showdown. Nick Chiberia from AAA Missouri joins us. Uh, $15,000 uh, spread out to six different schools. That's great. Yeah, yeah. Thanks, Bill. We're, we're really excited about this program. Uh, this is actually the second year that we've we've run this showdown now, uh, as you mentioned, in, in great partnership with our, uh, our friends over at MoDOT and the Missouri Coalition for Roadway Safety. And really, it started, uh, you know, as a way to educate our young drivers about the dangers of cell phone use while driving and distracted driving. So uh, we came up with this program. It's a there's there's an educational video that instructors can show to their students, uh, and then the students are tasked with with garnering up 
uh, virtual safe driving pledges. Uh, and not only from their fellow peers, but from their family, friends, members of the community as well. Uh, so, you know, we really wanted to uh, educate our young drivers and then, you know, make sure they could educate others on the importance of putting your phone down one behind the wheel. Second year you've been doing this, did you see an increase in the number of schools and the number of students taking advantage of this? We did. We saw a huge increase. Just for comparison's sake, our first year we had 10 participating high schools. Uh, this year we had 70 uh, with more than 15,500 safe driving pledges uh, collected from those high schools. Again, students, faculty, as well as their community members, uh, family, friends. So uh, we're very excited about the uh, the increase that we've seen. And I think it goes to show, you know, just how, how important this issue is uh, to so many people all around the state. I mean, we had a, a great um, representation of, of high schools of all different sizes from every corner of Missouri. Uh, and, and, you know, I think it just goes to show that this is such a, a wide ranging issue that touches anyone who uses Missouri roadways. Nick Chaberia from AAA Missouri talking about their buckle up phone down high school showdown. Uh, what are some of the numbers in terms of distracted driving crashes and deaths? Yeah, we know, unfortunately, in, in, in about the last decade, there's been uh, nearly 200,000 distracted driving related crashes, uh, and that's killed 801 people. And, you know, something to keep in mind is, is when we're talking about distracted driving figures, whether it's on a state level or even a national level, uh, you know, traffic safety experts agree across the board that those numbers are likely uh, extremely underreported and undercounted, uh, you know, simply for, for, well, for a couple of reasons. One, uh, uh, you know, there isn't necessarily a standard uh, for, for crash uh, reports uh, to identify distracted driving. So, uh, you know, some work needs to be done to sort of standardize that so everyone's on the same page. And then also, you know, if there is a crash that causes serious injury or even a, a death, you know, it's really up to that driver that, you know, to essentially admit that they were on their phone prior to the crash, which, you know, many people may not be uh, be too forthcoming to do. So, uh, you know, unfortunately, we know it's a big issue here in the state. Missouri has one of the weakest uh, distracted driving laws in the country. Uh, currently, it's only uh, prohibited for texting and driving for drivers under the age of 21. Uh, of course, we know folks are doing uh, much more than just texting on their phones these days. So, uh, you know, we're hoping uh, we're, we're working and we're hoping that we can uh, improve Missouri's distracted driving law and, and catch us up to the rest of the country. Yeah, Nick, AAA Missouri has uh, really been pushing Missouri legislators to get some new laws in the book. Where do you guys stand this session? You know, we've had some really good movement this session, better than we've had, I would say, in the last decade or so. Um, we, there's there's currently uh, about five five hands-free bills that have been introduced. Uh, we've already moved uh, one of those bills. It's actually a combination of bills because they were so similar. They, they combined them, Senate Bill 56, Senate Bill 61. That was voted out of the Senate Transportation Committee, uh, which is sort of the first step uh, into uh, that bill becoming law. We're, we're hopeful and expecting that that bill uh, will be heard on the Senate floor as early as next week. Uh, and, and we're confident we have the votes in the Senate. Uh, of course, the House is something we'll have to work on. But, um, you know, again, this is a bipartisan issue. We've seen, uh, again, legislators on both sides of the aisle introduce hands-free legislation. And, and we know that 
these laws work based on what we've seen in other states. Uh, you know, for example, in, in Georgia, their uh, fatality numbers uh, after they recently passed a hands-free law dropped by up to 15 percent in the first, uh, it was about the first year after that bill went into effect. So, um, you know, we know these laws work. We know they're not the, the end-all, be-all solution. Education also is, is a big component, component as well as enforcement. Uh, but, you know, the education piece, that's what we are hoping to target with this, uh, this contest, this pledge contest to make learning about the dangers of distracted driving exciting and, and you know put a little uh, put a little money behind it nick chabaria from triple a missouri their buckle up phone down high school showdown uh, I don't. Th- who were the winners? Who were the big the big schools that came out? Yeah, it's that's great to to highlight them. So uh, what we did is we broke the the participating schools into showdown classes. They were somewhat somewhat similar to the Michigan classes, but they were tailored specifically for this program. Uh, so we'll we'll go through the list. Six of them. Class six, our largest, uh, Jackson High School, uh, won four thousand uh, dollars. Class five, Sykeston High School, uh, won three thousand dollars in donations. Class four, Mount Vernon High School, run uh, won. $2,500. Class three, West St. Francis County uh, won $2,500. Uh, class two, Marceline won $2,000. And class one, uh, Buckland won $1,500. So uh, again, you know, some some great prizes for those schools. The prizes, uh, we were able to provide those through AAA Missouri, as well as through uh, some grant funding from the Governor's Highway Safety Association, uh, as well as General Motors. So very happy to be able to do that. And uh, so the, the prizes, the stipulation on the prizes is that they'd have to go toward uh, a student safety uh, project like Project Prom or Project Graduation or some other uh, safety oriented uh, program that the school offers. Yeah, what a great program and uh, some great success in year two. So I'm sure year three will be even bigger. Nick Chaberia from AAA Missouri. Uh, gas prices, uh, how are we looking for the spring and uh, can you forecast ahead for the summer? Yeah, you know, we've still seen quite a bit of volatility on, on the gas price front. Uh, interestingly enough, you know, we haven't really seen prices move all that much in the last month. I know they've they've come up and there they've went up and they've come back down, but you know, we're in, entering an interesting period here where we we're seeing crude oil prices uh, drop to some of the lowest points we've seen in the last year and a half. So, uh, that theoretically should push prices down. However, we're also seeing a high demand for for gas still as people travel for spring break uh, and certainly as they get ready for uh, you know, summer travel as well. So, it's going to be uh, it's going to be another volatile year, uh, you know, unfortunately for drivers, uh, but at least in the last month or so, we haven't really seen too much movement. Nick, great to catch up with you. Yeah, always great to talk with you, Bill. Nick Chaberia from AAA Missouri here on Show Me Today, the voice of Missouri. Show me today.